stupid call obey forth to the mighty conflict in this his glorious day ye that are men now serve him against unnumbered foes let courage rise with danger and strength to strength oppose. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. The strife will not be long. This day the noise of battle, the next the victor's song. To dead and when we were singing about courage I happened to think about uh, John Wayne's quote this morning that Pastor give us would, would you say that again Pastor what he said that was cute <laughs> right <laughs> saddle up anyway I, I remember that part yeah that's good Pastor thanks for sharing that with us Hymn number 501, hymn number 501, Now I Belong to Jesus, as we sing all three verses. Jesus, my Lord, will love me forever, from him no power of evil can sever, he gave his life to ransom my soul now I belong to him now I belong to Jesus Jesus belongs to me not for the years of time alone but for eternity once I was lost in sin's degradation Jesus came down to bring me salvation lifted me up from sorrow and shame now I belong to him now I belong to Jesus Jesus belongs to me not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. Joy floods my soul, for Jesus has saved me, freed me from sin that long had enslaved me. His precious blood he gave to redeem. Now I belong. belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. Not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. 
Amen. You may be seated. And now our pastor. All right. Come back next Sunday and I'll quote outlaw Josie Wales. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Well, it's good to have you guys with us tonight. And I uh, want to begin tonight uh, with a, a word of prayer. And I want to thank you guys. What a great day it is to worship the Lord. We should feel full and tired both at the same time in the day. I mean, we should be full of heart, uh, full of worship, full of faith. But we should also be tired from doing it, right? I know I am. I don't know about the rest of you guys. But, but uh, thankful for you guys being with us tonight and grateful that we can gather again. Um, let's go ahead tonight and uh, pray and ask the Lord to help us. Tonight we're going to be over in Proverbs chapter number 1. Uh, Proverbs 1 tonight. Well, let's ask the Lord to help us tonight and just thank Him for the day that He's given to us. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for this tonight. God, I thank You for each one that's here. Thankful for a, a full day of worship and, Lord, for the answered prayers that You've given and, Lord, for the strength that You've given to people and the help that You've given to folks through Your Word and through songs. God, I pray that uh, tonight, God, that You would open up our hearts and our minds to Your Word, Lord, that You would gu uh, guide us, strengthen us. And, Lord, I pray that You would uh, just meet any needs that are here tonight, Lord, as only You can. We love you, we thank you, we give this time over to you now, have your will in your way, and we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. Proverbs chapter number 1, Proverbs chapter number 1, we're going to be looking at verses 10 down through 19 tonight. I know that sounds like a whole lot of verses, but it's only, it's only two points tonight. Um, the enticement of sinners and the end of sinners. And, uh, tonight, uh, verse number 10, I want to read down through 19 just to kind of show us where we're going. Well, really, I'll back up to verse 7, it's important. I'll back up to verse 1. No, I'm just kidding. Let's, back, let's, uh, let's read verse 7 down through 19. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. For they shall be an ornament of grace under thy head, and chains about thy neck. And now our passage for tonight. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. If they say, Come with us, and let us lay wait for blood. Let us lurk privily for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as they go down into the pit. We shall find all precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in thy lot among us. Let us all have one purse. My son, walk not thou in the way of, with them. Refrain, refrain thy foot from their path. For their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. And they lay wait for their own blood. They lurk privily for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone that is, uh, is greedy of gain, which taketh away the life of the owners thereof. Now, tonight, as we look here, uh, we're going to be seeing one major theme, and that is how we deal with those who entice us to sin. Now, you might say that you're not running around with a bad crowd or anything, and, and maybe so, I hope not. Probably on a Sunday night, you're probably not here in church. But, but nevertheless, when we come here, I want us to look Verse number 10, there's two sections that come along here. Each one begins with the phrase, my son. Now, we've already seen that phrase beginning back in verse 8. To help us out with a little bit of contextual wisdom here, Proverbs 1, 1 through 6, tells us pretty much to give us the whole purpose of the whole rest of the book of Proverbs, how we are to grow in knowledge, instruction, and wisdom. It is not meant for us to remain naive in our walk with the Lord, nor are we to be gullible. Wisdom is needed to avoid these follies. Then in verses 7 to 9, gives us the principle and practice of the book. Unless we have a true knowledge and obedience of the fear of the Lord, then we will not be wise, but will be 
dragged along the way of the ungodly sinner. We talked last week about how a key and important the fear of the Lord is, how really it is the foundation of everything, not just for wisdom, but really for your whole Christian walk, your whole Christian life, for all that we are. And now then as we come to verses 10 to 19, this gives us sort of the practical of what it begins to look like and, and get shaped like as we begin to have to make those wise decisions. So this is being written to, if you will, the, the son of the author who is now having to face these life decisions of what crowd do I run with? What do I say yes to? What do I say no to? These are all decisions that you can train your child as best as you possibly know how, but ultimately they've got to make that choice for themselves when that time comes, right? It is one thing for you to go to Sunday school and come to church and know all the right answers, but then come Monday morning when, you know, your coworkers or classmates or whoever it is that you're hanging out with, friends, neighbors, loved ones, and then begin to go, hey, why don't you do this? Or why don't you go here? Why don't you say this? Or, why don't you live like this? You've got to know how to respond. And it begins with the fear of the Lord. So this is really the practical of all these things. But we are instructed to walk in the wisdom and the fear of the Lord so that when we are enticed by sinners, that we will not succumb to the enticement. See, true wisdom knows right from wrong. Knowledge knows maybe what they are, but wisdom knows which one to choose. Knowledge might know, well, you know, I heard that this is wrong, but I don't know. Or I heard that this is right, but well, that's just what they say. Wisdom knows the difference of right and wrong and is able to choose the right. I used to tell our youth group all the time, um, and granted, I'm still very young and was very young then and didn't know half as much what I know now, and I don't know half as much as I don't know the bottom of my shoe some days, but I used to tell the youth group, choose what is right, not what is easy. And what we're going to see in this passage is this son, if you will, you can imagine as he's going about his day, you can almost picture this sort of young teenage guy, which most of us can understand what it's like to be a teenager. You're young, you're naive, you're not thinking about tomorrow, let alone thinking about 30 years from now or the repercussions of sin. And there's going to be this group of guys, if you will, who are going to be like, hey, why don't you come here and sin with us? Now, they might not use those same words because that's not what they would use in real life, but the, the idea is the same. They're enticing him and trying to lead him into the way of sinfulness and unrighteousness, and he's got to be able to know what to say, and this is going to be the instruction of the Father. Now, here let's look, verse number 10. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. This here is going to be the main thrust for the rest of the passage, and really we've got to get a hold of this before we get a hold of anything else. Uh, Sorensen writes, From the Garden of Eden onward, sinners have sought to entice the innocent. Whether the sin is that of dishonesty, immorality, disrespect, or violence, sinners will often seek to enlist gullible and naive accomplices in their evil. It comes down to this, sin loves company, right? Sin loves to have more sinners with him. It justifies them because if all of us are doing it and you're not, well, we've got to be in the right because look at us, right? We are the group here who is in the majority, and so if the majority rules, even if it's wrong, Wrong must be right. See, that's not the case, though. Biblically, just because you might be in the majority does not mean that you are living in the right. It very well could mean that the all whole group of you is very much in the wrong. But this is nothing new here that, that sinners entice other people to their lifestyle. As a matter of fact, you can really point it back even further to the fact that sinners, before they entice other people to sin, sin has already enticed them. Is sin is very enticing. The phrase or understanding of, of, uh, 
entice. It is that of, of drawing in or trying to convince, trying to trick, trying to, to, uh, to bring about this sort of, I'm going to change your mind to think this way. I'm going to allure you into this sort of lifestyle. Now, sin is alluring. It is enticing to many people because you look at it and you go, well, it, it looks good, feels good, tastes good. It, it must be good, right? From the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, you look at the tree. As Eve is standing there, she goes, well, it looks good. I'm kind of hungry. It looks good for food. And, and look at the, the promises of what, what it could do, right? It might be, might be kind of good for me. I don't know. And so this is what happens as we begin. The longer we look at sin, the more enticing it appears. But truly, it, for you and I who are wise, when we look at sin, it, it should not be appealing. It should be disgusting to us. But instead, it often looks good on the outside. So therefore, we go, let's take a bite and see if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. If sin loves company, we see that if you find one sinner, you will find a second one in the making. Sin is very spreadable. Sin truly is the, the greatest disease and virus that there ever is because it does spread like wildfire. From the very moment sin enters into the garden, it spreads throughout all of creation where all of creation itself is under a curse. That we become cursed people, that we become people who now are born naturally doing what is sinful. And, and that sin seems to entice and, and how much a sinner wants more sinners to come along and join them. It also brings to mind this, this idea that if sinners are so willing to entice other people to sin, should not we who know wisdom be more able or more willing to tell others what goodness or righteousness is? With so much the world is very quick to promote that which is evil, that which is wrong. But unfortunately, in the church today, we're not nearly as quick or as willing uh, to, to spread that which is right, to share what is true, to share what is pure. Now, this also brings back to mind all the way back to Psalm 1. And so I want you to hold your place here and turn back with me to Psalm 1. Over in Psalm 1, we begin to see what wisdom and, and, and to, to be honest, to, <laughs> the stupidity looks like. Stupidity looks like the unwise man who does not follow the Lord, who does not believe his law, who, who goes and, and has an end of which we're going to see. Psalm 1 helps to set us up for the rest of this passage in Proverbs. Psalm 1 tells us, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. That sounds great. He says, but the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So when we see if sinners entice thee, we should immediately go and understand Psalm 1, that if they're enticing me to follow their way of life, I must flee. I must say no. I must fight this. Why? Because the end of sin is death, is destruction, no matter which way you try to shake it, no matter how much glitter you put on it. If you put makeup on a pig, it's still a pig, right? If you put makeup on a sin, it's still sin. It still will lead to death. It still will lead to destruction. Psalm 1 and Proverbs give us two crowds, two outcomes, the ungodly and the ungodly. 
the one outcome for godliness or those that live wisely, well, they have everlasting life. They have the idea that he tells us that they shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water and bringeth forth fruit. Our desire to live wisely is really coming from a desire to bear fruit for God. And so we have to understand that if we are going to bear fruit, we have to live wisely. And bearing fruit is a result of wise living. You will not have the one without the other. But on the other side of that, ungodly living or unwise living leads to death, leads to uh, perishing, leads to us not being like a tree that's solid and firm and founded and and grounded and, and bearing forth fruit, but rather is like the chaff driven away with the wind. It becomes fruitless. It becomes wasteful. It's unuseful. It's not good. It does not bring glory and honor to God. And truly, that's what the unwise soul does. Truly, that's what the sinner does without Christ. They're unprofitable. They are all gone out of the way is what the Scripture says. But here, coming back over to Proverbs, we see the importance here to entice, to allure, to persuade, to seduce. And he says, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. He is encouraging his child here to make sure that he keeps the right company. And and there's a reason behind this. We often, they say you are what you eat. That might be some degree, but I'm not shaped like pizza. I don't know. Maybe, right? Pizza might be round, but not shaped as just a slice. That's a triangle, right? It's it's craziest food ever, right? You eat triangles shaped together as a circle, but hey, whatever. We're all shaped differently, but what, what are we talking about here? We're talking spiritually speaking. When we, we are what we are around, those that you are around, you do naturally, scientifically, they say you, you pick up on certain slang, or you pick up maybe even on accents, you pick up on mannerisms, jokes, and all these different things. The more that you are around someone and get to know them, your personality even slowly changes a little bit around that one person because you're kind of morphing to it. Well, now, if we put ourselves around just sinners, then what do we probably start acting like? Just sinners. If we are around just godly, then what do we do? We should just be acting godly. However, believe there's a balance for that the godly man must know and walk wisely so that when we are around sinners, we will not be enticed by the sin, but rather we will share the light and the love of Christ to draw them and point them over to godliness. And that we will also not find ourselves so embedded into God, into living this godly life that we will become prideful or pharisaical or that we will forget that this is who we used to be. There are plenty of people who are on this side who live godly and moral lives and know Christ, however, will not venture close enough to a sinner to even witness to them. We should know. We should know just as many saved people as we do sinners. Why? Because saved people are saved sinners, and those sinners, we must know them to give them the gospel. But here, the whole idea is that he's warning his son of what can happen to him. And I believe that this is important because what eventually happens to Solomon? Eventually, Solomon will have quite his issues with those who he's kept company with and many others in the Old Testament. But he says, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. See, we're being influenced by the company that we keep. And, and by the way, we're all being discipled some way, shape, or form. We're all being influenced by what we read, by what we bring into our eyes, our ears. We're, we're being influenced, and we're also, in the same process, influencing others. 
And so we should be bringing in wisdom if we want to be able to dispense wisdom. What we bring in is what we're going to pour out. And so if we're bringing in godliness, if we're bringing in the law and the delighting in it day and night, if we're bringing in wise living, then what will we be able to do to our children, grandchildren, neighbors and loved ones and, and those around us? We would have poured the same into them. But here he says, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. And the whole phrase, consent thou not, immediately brings me back to a time before I was even alive. You guys will remember. The first lady, Nancy Reagan. Y'all remember Nancy Reagan? Right? Yeah? All right. And what, y'all remember her big slogan that she had? Just say no. There was the war against drugs, and and that 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 was the slogan. Just say no. The whole idea here is what Solomon is telling his son is when sinners come knocking, just say no. Don't say anything else. You don't even have to say anything else. We don't have to give justification as to why we won't go somewhere, listen to certain things, speak a certain way, or do certain things. We don't have to give the explanation. We just say no. We don't have to give a justification for the way in which we live a godly life. We don't have to give justification for believing the Bible and following the Scripture. We don't have to give a justification for going, this is what God has said, therefore, that's what I'm going to do. The justification is simply this. When sin is there, when sin is presented, when sin is enticing, we must say no. Now, it's tough when there's a whole group, as we're about to see here, who's going to be going, hey, come on, come join us, come join us. It's hard to say no, but we're still called to say no. Well, how about when we take it down to a possibly a harder level? It might be somewhat easy for you in a group of two or three you would say, no, guys, I, I'm not in on this one. Now, you might be thinking, I'm past all that stuff. Well, how about this? There are times in your life where you're going to be alone, aren't you? There's times in your life when you're alone, and that's when sin comes. Sin might not come by those who are hanging around you all the time. Sin might be coming in your mind, in your heart, by the lust of your flesh, by some sort of pride that is in you. And it is when you are alone that you are your most vulnerable at times. And so when sin comes, whether you're in a group, Uh, surrounded by sinners, or whether you're by yourself, the biggest sinner that you know, by the way, and sin starts to entice, you must be able to say no. If you don't have the strength in that moment to fight, then flee. Flee from it. If you're there and and you're finding yourself drifting off into wicked thoughts or, or perverse thoughts, I would encourage you, if you can't fight it in that moment, run from it. Run. Get in your vehicle and go for a drive. Go walk around Walmart. Go witness it. Go pick up your Bible. Go sit on the front porch. Go cut your grass in the middle of winter if that's what it takes. Go do something. Get that mind off of it. Say no to it. And by the way, the moment you say no to it, it will entice you again. As a matter of fact, it will entice even stronger and harder. It will come back again and again and again to try to get you to just say yes one time. It's even just not even looking for the yes, it's looking for the maybe. Because <laughs> then they know, oh, gotcha, you're starting to go now. It was a no, it was a firm no, it was no two or three times in a row. Now it's a maybe. So the longer that we keep going, uh, we see how easily we can give in to sin. This is why we must say no. And what wise living is, is knowing not just to say no to sin and saying yes to wisdom, but or yes to righteousness, But it is this idea that we have to understand that at all points of our life, we are always saying yes to something and no to something else. When you say yes 
to wisdom or yes to coming to church tonight or yes to reading your Bible or yes to prayer, what are you saying no to? You're saying no to sin. You're saying no to uh, the status quo of the world. You're saying no to the enticement of the world and uh, of your own flesh. How about when you say yes to your flesh or yes to the world or yes uh, to the enticement of sinners? Well, then you're saying no to a million other things that you should be doing. I was told in, in Bible college about our, our uh, pastoral professor dealing, of course, he was talking you know, to guys who were going to be pastors one day, and he says, he says to us, what you say no to, you say yes to something else, and what you say yes to, you say no to something else. Now, that was the idea. What he was telling us is, hey, if you say yes to go do this visit or this outreach or this event, or you say no to that, well, you're going to say yes to something else. You're always in this constant having to choose what you say yes to and what you say no to. And now if we were to put up a diagram of our lives, of all the things we've said yes to that we weren't supposed to, I mean, it would be huge. If we were to have a, another spot that showed all the things we said no to that we should have, I think about what the Apostle Paul says. He says, I know what to do. I know what I should do. And that's what I don't do. And that which I'm not supposed to do, that's what I do. And he's like, the, the wretched man that I am, who, who can... You can tame this. Our sinful bodies are constantly fighting this decision of what is right. We know what is right. We know what is wrong, but choosing what is right every time. We will not choose what is right every time until we no longer have to make that choice when we're in glory. Then we won't have to worry about making the choice. The choice is already made for us because we're standing before the throne of God. The thought of saying no to that, it's gone at that point. We're glorified and praise the Lord for that day. But as we move forward here and we look, we find this sort of description of these sinners that are enticing the son. In verse 11, he says, If they say, come with us, let us lay wait for blood, let us lurk privily for the innocent without cause. Now, most of you, when you were growing up, or even now, if you had someone who was trying to entice you to do something that you knew wasn't right, they probably didn't say, hey, let's hide in the corner and see who we can kill. Most of y'all probably didn't have that sort of temptation. It was probably something much more mild, but still not that good either. But think about this. The, what they're about to do as this builds up is they're building this man and they're trying to say, hey, look, we've got money. We've got camaraderie. We've got a brotherhood together. We've got all of these things and you can join us. You can be a part of what we got going on here. There are a million things outside of church that are trying to do the same thing to you, to your kids and grandkids. There are a million other things that they can say yes to that might not be bad, but they might not be that good either. They might not be inherently evil, but if it's keeping them from Christ, then certainly it's not that good, is it? And there's a million groups that are trying to give our kids and grandkids purpose and trying to give them a future and trying to give them friends and acceptance. And you want to know one of the real reasons why the, the LGBTQ movement is so effective today? One, because it's militant in the way it operates. But two, because it offers anyone who joins and anyone who joins a quote-unquote idea of love and acceptance and brotherhood or sisterhood. It brings them immediate acceptance. They don't have to worry about what they look like. As a matter of fact, the freakish, the better. And as long as you come and join the group, then you're a part of it. You're accepted. You're welcome. And so this is what happens to this young man. Watch this progression. He says, let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down into the pit. 
We shall find all precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast thy lot among us. Let us all have one purse. And notice how this goes. They uh, hear, as one commentator writes, this sort of gang of godlessness. He says, apparently in ancient Israel, no less than in the modern world, the camaraderie, easy money, and feeling of empowerment offered by gangs was a strong temptation to the young man who felt overwhelmed by the difficulties of life he confronted every day. Here, they're willing to do a couple things. They were willing to steal and murder in order to fill their houses with spoil. What they're doing is they're looking for easy gain. They're looking for easy money where they don't have to work for it. Right? One of the appeals to robbery or breaking and entering or whatever it might be is get rich quick. Right? And how many others are maybe not robbery, but we would call them get-rich-quick schemes? There's plenty of them out there. Pyramid schemes and all these other schemes. There's a million of them. And they're all pretty much the same thing, okay? They've all got one goal in mind. Let me put out the most little effort and work possible for the greatest gain, right? That's the the, the get-rich-quick. And that's their goal here. They're going about it secretively. They're willing to steal. They're willing to murder just to have some temporary stuff. It's much like a, a pirate would. It's like, well, we know we're going to have to go back out there and do this all over again, but let's do whatever it takes now to be rich now, to spend it all in just a second, to go back out and have to do it all over again. And it does not, it is not a wise, certainly it's not wise living, but two, it's ungodly living. It's going to lead to death. It's going to lead to destruction. But these young men that are enticing this boy, they have no idea the rude awakening that they're in for. He says uh, to them, he says, uh, let us swallow them up alive. There's the murder they're willing to do. We shall find all precious substance. We shall fill our house with spoil. And then he says in verse 14, cast in thy lot among us. Let us all have one purse. This gives them the sense of belonging. He's trying to give them this sense of belonging that let us all have one purse. He's saying, look, we're all in this together. Don't you, don't you want to be a part of this? Don't you, uh, don't you, want, to, you don't want to miss out on what we got going on here, right? We're, we're together. There's several things here wrong with this. Just because a group of people are together on something does not mean that that group is right. <laughs> you can think about this. Um, there's, there's groups of motorcycle gangs out there who are very close-knit bonded and guess what not not quite all the way right are they (laughs) right we would say maybe even some ungodly living taking place but you want to know something you're not going to find a a, a deeper brotherhood they're bound with those patches they're bound through the 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 bikes through the whole nine yards they they have a a deep respect and a deep love for one another that unfortunately much of the church of God is lacking. We only have cool patches to wear. <laughs> Except we do. We've got the banner of Christ. We've got the blood of Jesus that has covered us. We should be bonded together. We should be unified. We should be willing to do whatever it takes for one another. And rightly so because we're doing so for godliness and we're doing so wisely. But these folks are together and they are offering something that every young person wants. Money, right, which buys stuff, temporary stuff. And the second thing that kids want, or kids, sound like old, second thing these young whippersnappers want. But the young people want money and stuff, right, because that's what appeals. The second thing they want is they want purpose. 
The reason why much of the modern church and what we would consider to be modern churches are growing is because they've given a sense of purpose to a lot of young kids. Unfortunately, what we have done in, in I think, trying to protect our young people is that we've, we've so much preached against stuff that kids have lost a purpose in the church or a purpose in their life. So they try to find a purpose in anything. And so for them, the only purpose that they can find is the stuff or is the temporary. But that's not much of a purpose, is it? Why? Because that temporary stuff is just that temporary. It's not going to last forever. You're not going to take it with you. As a matter of fact, everything that they're all excited about now, in two weeks, it's not, it, that fad's going to be over. That craze is over. I mean, it's just like that anymore. And so we think about this. This group is offering something to this young man, and he's got the choice to make. Either say yes to the desirables and as well as to brotherhood or, or to have purpose, or say no to all that and say yes to wisdom. Now, when you're young, saying yes to wisdom, you say, well, I'll be wise when I'm old. Right now, this sounds pretty good to me. I need purpose. I need stuff, right? I need stuff to have purpose. And see why, why this book is being written? Because you and I spend an awful lot of our life in this young state of where we're so caught up and wrapped up in the here and now. We don't think about eternity until oftentimes it's, it's far too late. I remember witnessing to, to a friend of mine, countless friends, and they would all pretty much say the same thing. Especially middle school and high school, they say, well, I'll wait till I'm old. <laughs> and then, you know, ninth grade comes, and after school, 3.30, one of our classmates who I'm in class with that day gets hit and killed. And woke a few people up, but still the same response of, no, why, I was just freak action. I'll wait till I'm old. We always think we have tomorrow. We always think we have till we're older. And unfortunately, many people are not addressed or, or, or dealing with their mortality until they're either, one, sitting at a funeral or until it's actually their time to go. Well, we don't know when that time is, let alone if we're going to get to think long and hard about it. And here this young man has the choice. And, and, and regardless of what state of your life that you're in, we have the choice daily to make as well. You see, look at their priorities here. Their priorities are, are, are absolutely sinful to their core. But the reason why is because, number one, they don't have a fear of the Lord. Because they don't have a fear of the Lord, they have no problem lying in wait, stealing, murdering, and luring in some young, innocent guy to join their group. The reason why they're willing to do all that is because there is no fear of the Lord before their eyes. They do not care, nor do they have that fear of the Lord, which is why they're living unwisely, which is why they're living unrighteously, which is why they're willing to do whatever it takes for the here and now to have as much stuff as possible. Second, they don't have a concern for life or righteousness. And that boils back down too, because if you don't love God, if you don't know God, if you don't fear God, then how would you have a concern for life, yours or others? How would you have a concern for righteousness? Of course you wouldn't. We're very quick and very adamant and easy to, to preach against those who are younger today who don't care about life, don't care about others' lives, don't care about righteousness. But think about this. It goes back because the vast majority of them were never taught the fear of the Lord. They were never taught wisdom. They were never taught godliness. They were never taught the Bible. Therefore, how could we expect them to think any other way than the way that they think now? We're generation... Uh, two, three, four generations now past the idea that 
that there is a God or that the Bible is God's word or that Adam and Eve were real people or that sin is a real problem or any of those things. We are long past those days. And now it's not even just to an acceptance, but a promotion of that which is evil, much like this group here. And now, much like today, as in here in the book of Proverbs, there is this whole group of people that is saying, come join this, be a part of what we've got, but it's unrighteous. It's unwise. And yet our young people are going by the droves there because they find purpose and they find temporary fulfillment. You know, it is said now statistically that about, four, about uh, 30 to 40% of young people who consider themselves to be in a Christian home identify as LGBTQ. That's a ton, in case you're wondering. A ton. And the reason why is I believe firmly because they weren't taught wisdom from the early age. They might have been in church from an early age. That's still different. And because of much of what we would consider church nowadays is not teaching wisdom. It's teaching acceptance or promotion of, well, you know, have Jesus and whatever else. Just don't go but so far. And see, this is the world in which we're living in. We're living in a totally different world. We're living in a world that, much like these young people, only don't have a fear of the Lord, don't have a love or a care for righteousness, and they only have a care for the riches of the world, for the things of this world. But you and I are called to live not of this world. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. Therefore, we are not called to live for this world. We're called to live for the eternal things. So see the progression here. No fear of the Lord, in verse 7, leads to lying in wait, stealing, murdering, and enticing. Excuse me, and enticing others. That's the progression. In just a few short verses. This is how quickly and how easily everything goes astray. This is why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction, and those same fools that despise wisdom and instruction go on to lie in wait and entice other people to come. But we must consent not. Then in verse number 15. My son, walk not thou in the way of them. He says, refrain thy foot from their path. Meaning, don't even go the way that they're going. You can't walk the same path. The Bible says, how can two walk together except they be agreed? And if they're walking unwisely, we can't walk with them. It's one thing to try to be a, a friend of sinners, and it's another thing to be walking the same path. We can't do both. And here, here's what happens. This points our minds back to Psalm 1-1 that tells us, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Notice the progression there. Walking, movement, standing. Now we're sitting. Now we're hanging out. Right? It, it, it doesn't take much when we get to just, we're walking along the way, and then now we're, now we're standing. And now we're real comfortable when we're sitting in the middle of all this sinfulness, in the middle of all this unwisdom, unwise thought and behavior. We are not to follow the counsel or the lifestyle of the ungodly. And you and I certainly know that. But I want you to know the ungodly lifestyle is not just that of the gross sins that we talk about from LGBTQ, abortion, or, or this sort of liberal movement that has taken place. Ungodly and unwise counsel and wisdom that you and I should have no place with is also looked at as pride, gossip, about lying, 
even little white lies, uh, about the, the judging others based upon what they look like, uh, what they wear, their background, who their family is, what their past is. These are all the Baptist sins that we don't talk about. These are all the Baptist sins that hide underneath the pew but are always there lurking. These are the sins that are very much a part of the same group that is still so enticing. Because you and I, while we may not be enticed to, hey, why don't you come with me and let's go steal and kill somebody and take what they got. No. You and I might be enticed. Hey, come here, sister. Did you hear? That's pretty enticing to us, isn't it? We might not, not, we might not care at all about going and committing murder or stealing, but we certainly have no problem talking about one another. We don't even have a problem committing murder as long as it's just in our heart. We'll say, oh, yeah, I hate them too. Nasty old thing. That's the truth. And we think that's just as acceptable. We think that's all right because, you know, well, because then we'll add a bless their heart or I'm praying for them. And that don't make it right, does it? No. It might sound spiritual, but it's just as wicked and ungodly as come with our group, we'll give you purpose, and we're going to, we're going to murder that guy if we got to, but either way, we're taking his stuff. It's just as hate-filled, it's just as ungodly, just as unrighteous. But see, the end of these folks is destruction. It says, for their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood, but guess what? One day, they're going to stop running and they're going to stop making haste. They're going to be put in their place. They're going to come to a screeching halt one day, come judgment day. The book of Psalms, we had covered so much of that that deals with one day, right now, the wicked might feel like they're winning. The wicked might even win some battles, it seems like. But guess what? There's coming a day where all that's going to be done. No more. Never again. God will only tolerate but so much for so long. He says this, Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. As one commentator writes, It is futile to spread out a net for birds that are watching. But these men are so blinded by evil that they fail to recognize the trap. The blind folly of greed led to their doom, but they do not even see it coming, for they do not connect the consequences with their acts. The idea here that, that Proverbs gives us is the idea of, uh, or the illustration of, he says, surely it is a vain thing to, to take a net and spread it out in front of any bird to try to catch it that's looking at it. It's, it's not going to work, right? Now, my dog's not a bird. He, he's not quite as smart as these birds, I guess. I'll take a blanket sometimes and he'll look at me and sometimes, if I do it right, I can toss it up and lay it on his head and then watch him run into things. <laughs> It's fun, all right? You, you can think I'm awful. It's funny, all right? You can come to the house and watch it. It's, it's a blast. It'd kill the whole afternoon. It's great. He'll spin around in circles. He gets the blanket off. He's fine. He's, got, he's done no damage to the house or to himself. They think about that, though. With the bird, it's a different ballgame. They're watching you. They see you. They see the net. And they're not getting caught. They're out of there. Right? Here, though, it's like they can see the net in front of their eyes they can see, but they can never make the connection between their actions and the consequences. They have no thought process of going, if we break in or we lie in wait and we beat this guy up or even kill him and we take what he's got, we're not even thinking about what could happen if we get caught or really, spiritually speaking, when we do get caught. Because there's nothing that has gone from the sight of God. He knows your heart long before you've even done it. He knows your heart 
as you're doing that sin and after that sin. And one day, your same little wicked heart is going to stand before Him and there will be no escaping. There will be no hiding. There will be no running. Most of our young people today, and, and probably most of us, hopefully we've grown out of that, being able to see the difference of, or the connection between our actions and our consequences. Most of us would say hindsight's twenty twenty, but what we need is some, we need some foresight, don't we, to go, if I do this, what's going to happen? How will this affect me, others, so-and-so, and so-and-so? How will this affect me 5, 10, 20 years from now? Well, we don't think about that when we're young and, and, and dumb and, and naive and, and uncaring about the things of God, do we? Of course not. You see what happens, David Guzik writes, tragically, Solomon's company with sinners in the form of the wise given to idolatry became a trap. He himself was caught in. And what we can do is much like many before us is if we linger too long, if we linger too long amongst sinners, if we linger too long without saying no or, or, or standing for what is right consistently, we too can fall into a trap. And then it says, verse 19, So are the ways of everyone that is greedy of gain, which taketh away the life of the owners thereof. He shows their end, and their end is seen over in Psalm chapter 1. We have two choices tonight. A choice that all of you guys are going to pick the right one, I'm sure, or probably already have. It's pretty easy, at least theoretically, to say, I'm going to obey and listen to the wisdom of God and fear Him and walk in it. And we know that's the right answer. Now, practicing it tomorrow morning is a different story. Practicing it when it's difficult or when the enticement comes and allures us to want to do sin or to want us to speak evil or to lie or to cheat or to steal or to whatever your sin is that you've got an issue with, that's a different story. Or we listen to the enticing sinners and we say, okay, sure. And our lives will be made a wreck, will be made undone, and we will face destruction. We will face consequences. The choice, of course, when you put the two together, will our brains, our hearts, we naturally go, well, duh, you pick choosing the fear of the Lord. But that's the hard part. We know to choose the fear of the Lord. But fear of the Lord is a humbling thing. The fear of the Lord is going, you know something, even if I don't have everything that I want, even if things are difficult, even if I don't have all the friends or all the things of this world, God, and knowing Him, trumps all of that. God, and knowing Him, is sufficient. But be, I could have every riches, I could have all the money, I could have all the cars, I could have all the friends, I could have all the temporary things, but if I don't have God, none of it matters. It is Christ and Christ alone. Knowing Him trumps everything. Right? I'd rather have Jesus than anything. Sing the old song, not, not but so old either. Gaithers wrote that thing. We think about this though. We sing and we talk, you know, I'd rather have Jesus, but sometimes in, in our hearts that know the Lord and have known him for so long, sometimes grow to where we're more enticed by the things of the world. And really, we should be enticed by the eternal things. The gold of this world is nothing compared to the streets of gold. The pearls you can wear around your neck are nothing compared to the gates of pearl. The, the glories uh, that you can find in this world and the riches are nothing compared to the glories and the riches that are found in the grace of Jesus. So tonight, 
may we hear the wisdom given. And that when sinners entice us, or when we even entice ourselves, consent thou not. That we would know what it means to follow God. That we would know what it means to fear the Lord and put it into practice. Day in, day out. Especially come Monday morning. And let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this night, God. Thank you for each one that's here. Grateful for the wisdom that you've given to us in your word that we might know you and might know how to follow you. I pray that you would help us to do just that. Lord, as we go home tonight, I pray that we would be able to rest, prepare us for this week to come. God, that you would use us throughout our, our day-to-day life. Lord, that we would have these thoughts in, in your word um, upon our minds, upon our hearts, that we would meditate upon it, that we would seek to know you more, and that we would be obedient to you in all things. Help us to be prayerful this week and to continue in this initiative, Lord, to seek you and to seek wisdom for the future and and for our families and as well, Lord, that you would use us every day for an opportunity to share our faith and to be challenged by you to to grow deeper in our walk with you and our understanding of you. God, I pray that you would use each soul that's here. Thank you for each one of them. God, that you would bless them and keep them safe when we meet again. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you guys for coming tonight. Appreciate you all. Hope to see you guys Tuesday night for our Thanksgiving service.